Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. You know it as the home of the 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games, home to world-class sporting venues, and home to people, families, businesses and schools. But did you know amongst its 560 acres, it's also home to six and a half kilometres of waterways, 26 acres of woodland, more than 13,000 trees, 60 species of bird and 250 types of insects. And this rich, diverse variety of life is why this episode of the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park podcast is all about the new Biodiversity Action Plan. But what is it? Biodiversity, it's all the sort of wonderful wildlife, greenery and plants and habitats that you find in the natural and sort of urban settings. You can think of biodiversity in many ways. You can think of it in terms of species, you can think of it in terms of communities and of course the the biodiversity we're most aware of is the stuff we can see but of course there's a huge amount of biodiversity which is simply not visual or very small organisms. I think volunteering in the park has really helped me to become much more aware of biodiversity it's made me much more aware of what i plant and why i'm planting it and about trying to attract wildlife and maintain wildlife in the garden towns and cities like london are not places that you would typically associate with biodiversity but they can be surprisingly rich in the wildlife that they support and that's definitely something that we found here on the olympic park Coming up, we'll look at the changes at the wildlife and surroundings since the Games in 2012. And we'll count down the top 10 natural things to look out for in Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. My name is Ruth Holmes and I work for the London Legacy Development Corporation, design principal for landscape and public realm. We have produced an update of the biodiversity action plan for the London Legacy Development Corporation area. Um, We've had one before and that lasted five years from post-games time and now we're into a new phase where the park has matured quite a lot in terms of the habitats and the biodiversity on site and so we have a continued commitment to make sure that we monitor what's going on on site um, and all the sort of amazing species and habitats and how they're developing and we have a wonderful ecologist on site who does a lot of the monitoring for us and has actually authored the Biodiversity Action Plan, or BAP as we call it. I'm Catherine Norris and I'm the park ecologist at Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. The park has a huge diversity of habitat, including wildflower meadows, woodlands and wetlands. And the BAP is the document that guides how we look after all of this habitat, as well as the various wildlife that it supports. A key part of my role is to monitor the park's wildlife. So over the past six years, we've carried out a number of ecological surveys with the help of specialists to find out what's here and where it can be found. And the information that we get from these surveys is really important as it means that our management can be based on evidence. So it shows us whether we are meeting our BAP targets or whether we need to adapt and to do things slightly differently to encourage and support certain species. So there's a lot of about engaging with people and this is what this new iteration of the BAP will do. It's very colourful, it's got lots of pictures in it which will help people think, oh yeah, I saw that butterfly and oh goodness, is that what it's called? So it's incredibly kind of academically rigorous and we have universities on site as well. And we know that there are going to be students who are going to be really interested in participating and 
helping us kind of take forward more activities and iterations to help us deliver better biodiversity on site. The new BAP will be the third version of the plan and will cover the next four years up to 2024. And it follows the original themes in terms of protecting biodiversity and engaging people with nature. But the plan has had to adapt to reflect how the park is changing now, eight or so years after the Olympic Games. The next few years will see a lot of new development across the park. So we've included new targets to ensure that biodiversity is incorporated into the built environment, whether that's in the form of green roofs or nest boxes for some of our urban specialists like the Black Red Start. There are also a couple of new species action plans in there to reflect some of the species that we've discovered during our monitoring work. So what the new plan does is to bring together lots of the original themes, but it's also forward thinking. And so it looks to the future of the park and its biodiversity as well. The park and the landscape was really at the heart of even games time. It was setting all these amazing buildings within a a landscape and transforming that landscape, which is a sort of river park into something that people could enjoy and you know some people had just as much a great day out during games time in the parklands as they did going to venues and that is the huge legacy of what we have is this amazing park where once there wasn't one and it wasn't very accessible it had you know culverted rivers sides and no lawns no kind of areas which people could get to and explore Um, and get to know the wildlife that was there because there was wildlife there before but now it's really easy for people to um, go and engage with that if they want to. London was very clear about wanting its Olympic Games to be different. Obviously the park had to support millions of visitors during the Games but there was a longer term ambition for the site to have a green and sustainable legacy and biodiversity was central to this which was unique and a first for an Olympic site. I think what the park does really well is to show how biodiversity can be integrated into the built environment and how an urban landscape can support wildlife alongside the more traditional habitats like woodlands and meadows. Oh, the park has so many amazing places. I mean, the meadows and the 2012 gardens, um, and then there are sort of smaller, quieter areas, particularly down by the water, some of the kind of towpaths and sort of river edge promenades are just so lovely because you get that cool feeling from the water and then amazingly what I was walking under a bridge the other day and just saw that flash of blue and thought oh my god that's a kingfisher there are just so many bits of the park and it's very lucky that it's got so many character areas and so many different bits of habitat which attract different bits of wildlife just a fabulous place to be really there's so much to see in Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park but you've got to know it's there in this podcast, we'll run through the top 10 countdown of things to look out for. Here's park ecologist Catherine Norris again. Number 10 is the Chetty's Warbler, a species that was unknown in the UK until the 1960s. These birds are very elusive and like to stay well hidden in vegetation. Despite being a secretive bird, Chetty's Warblers are said to have one of the loudest songs of all the British songbirds meaning that you have more of a chance of hearing one than you do of seeing one. Listen out for the warbler by the North Park Reedbeds. The Olympic Park is home to seven different bat species, which make it onto the list at number nine. Bats are nocturnal, meaning that they are active at night between dusk and dawn. The park has 150 bat boxes, many of which you can see underneath the bridges. 
The common pipistrelle is our smallest bat and has been recorded here numerous times. At number eight are the wildflower meadows, a habitat that supports lots of our wildlife. This type of habitat is considered very rare as 97% of all the UK's meadows have been lost since the 1930s. One of the wildflowers that the meadows support is the common knapweed. It's a bright purple flower that's in bloom between June and September. The flower is particularly popular with goldfinches which feed on its seeds and the birds can often be seen in large flocks called charms around the Fantasticology Meadow. More from Catherine's countdown shortly. This is the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park podcast. Back before the Games in 2012, Professor James Hitchmo of Sheffield University was part of the team who designed the landscaping of the park on behalf of the organising committee of the London Games. Well, I was appointed, along with my colleague, Professor Nigel Dunnett, in, I think it's about 2007, and uh, to be, essentially, to be the principal planting designers for the, the whole park. And what was it like when you got that, that call, got that gig, if you like? It was actually, a, you know, a fantastic project to be involved in. And uh, interestingly, I mean, the way it came about is, is that Nigel Knight had written this book in 2004 uh, called The Dynamic Landscape, which was all about, really, it was almost like a manifesto about how do you sort of square the circle between nature and culture and cities and how do you, through design and management, produce cities which are, you know, really biodiverse and rich, but at the same time, are culturally rich and meaningful for human beings. And so I think the ODA, the Olympic Delivery Agency, had seen that. And so we were, in in a sense, we were sort of headhunted because those ideas matched up very closely to how the ODA saw the entire project. Was it exciting for you to think that you and your colleague were going to be involved in helping to deliver the Olympic Games in London? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, it was actually. I mean, it was a very, and it was a very long-term process, as you can imagine. We worked on it for years. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was very exciting, and it was also a bit terrifying too. I mean, I was, I was responsible for making sure that the, the ten hectares of wild, of native wildflowers that that I'd, I designed and uh, and sort of chaperoned, if you like, to maturity flowered sort of magnificently on the the opening day of the games in July 2012 and of course so there's a terrible fear oh my what if it doesn't work uh, so it wasn't it was it was a it, it was it was challenging but it was ultimately it was yeah it was, it was a fantastic fantastic opportunity you talk about obviously the local organizing committee how much input did they have how much were you in in touch with them was was Seb on your speed dial for example I have to say, Seb wasn't on my speed dial. The guy who was sort of a, this essentially leading the landscape was a guy called Professor John Hopkins, you know, and uh, he was he was obviously in touch with people like Seb, and and indirectly by the ODA. So we were given quite a little bit of latitude to sort of do our stuff. I mean, we actually had the ODA board come to Sheffield to look at some of our research before we kicked off as a sort of confidence-building exercise, if you like. And when it came round to the 27th of July 2012, it was the night of the opening ceremony. How pleased, how proud were you that all these people were streaming into the park? And not only were people admiring these new landmark buildings, the aquatic centre, the copper box, the stadium, the velodrome and everything else, but they were admiring their surroundings as well. Yeah, 
well, I think it was very exciting for most people because, of course, they thought they were coming to a sports venue. Uh, and I was actually there the following day. So I was observing this as a sort of auteur. Most people just didn't realise that they were going to have an ex- what was it, what was actually an ex- a visually extraordinary landscape. I think many people were overwhelmed and uh, as they walked across that bridge and they saw what was in front of them and it was it was hugely exciting for myself, you know, to actually watch the reaction of people to, you know, to what we'd made basically. Professor James Hitchmo. Still to come, we'll hear from a park champion one of the volunteers at Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. But let's continue our countdown of rare finds and things to spot. Number seven on the list is one of our bird species. Reed buntings are one of the park's conservation success stories, as there are few records of the birds being here before the park was built. Since the wetlands and reed beds were created, we've seen a steady increase in their numbers and they have been recorded breeding here every year since 2013. During the spring and summer, you can see adults and their young in and around the reed beds of the North Park. Number six is a species from the rivers and wetland habitats, the European eel. Eels were once abundant in the River Thames, but their numbers have dropped dramatically since the 1980s, making it one of our most critically endangered species. We found European eels in all four of the park's waterways, although never in significant numbers, which highlights just how threatened this species is. The brown-banded cardabee is at number five. This is a distinctive ginger-coloured bee that nests on the ground in long grass. The bee depends on a variety of flowers like clovers and knapweeds and has declined rapidly in the last few years with the loss of wildflower meadows. The brown-banded cardabee can be seen from May onwards in meadows and grasslands across the park. The species at number four spends only a short part of the year on the Olympic Park, and that's the sand martin. These small birds are summer visitors and start to arrive here in April and May. By the middle of August, many of the birds have left the park to start their long journey back to Africa, where they spend the winter months. Look out for the birds around Carpenter's Lock and the Stadium Loop, where they nest in the old mooring holes along the river wall. And we'll have Catherine's top three rare finds for you shortly. Today, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park is maintained partly by a team of volunteers. Here's Mary O'Leary. I became involved in volunteering in the park following the 2012 Olympics, which um, just blew me away with the variety, the colour um, of the different plants and trees that were and shrubs that, were, that I, you could see in the park. Um, I live not too far away from the park, so it's just wonderful to be contributing you know, in a positive way to the community, to the upkeep and maintenance of the park. And um, it's just a very fun experience to do. You get to meet new friends. When you join the programme, there's a fantastic induction programme. You're supported. You're never on your own. There's always somebody with you for the different activities. There's a fantastic variety of volunteer opportunities within the park. There's a fantastic information points, a customer service, mobility service, different events we support within the park and obviously the conservation as well. Um, So there's sort of something for everyone and you don't have to have any prior knowledge of experience, you're actually supported in your volunteer journey within the park. I think it's really important for the park to have volunteers because um, it's helping the community to be part of the park and it, it is a community park at the, you know, although on a very large um, scale, 
it helps when volunteers become involved because it's the community being involved in maintaining an upkeep of their own park, um, their local area. It helps to promote the park because um, there's such a variety of events and um, habitats within the park that, you know, every day you walk there, you see something new, something different. So as volunteers, we have an opportunity of um, being able to, to share our experience in the park. And we're all very passionate about the park. So we have no problem with talking about the park or, or promoting it. And um, I think for the park itself, the benefit it gets from the different skills that all of the volunteers actually bring with them to the park is invaluable as well. I would just say if anybody is thinking of volunteering, please do it. You you won't regret it. It's just a fantastic experience. You learn new skills. It's very sociable and you meet loads of new friends and you can pick and choose the projects or the activities you want to become involved in. Um, you, there isn't a specific number of hours you need to do. You can choose that to suit your, you know, your home life, your lifestyle as well. Um, so it's it's kind of a win-win. You know, you feel good. I've never done a volunteer shift where I haven't uh, um, learned something new or come away feeling much more positive and happy. So I would say please do it. Park champion Mary O'Leary. Time for the final three of park ecologist Catherine Norris's top ten countdown of rare finds. Number three on our list is the black red star. It's one of Britain's rarest birds and a flagship species for the park. Numbers of the birds in London grew during the 1940s as sites left derelict by the Blitz offered them ideal breeding habitat. And it's for this reason that the Black Red Star is sometimes nicknamed the Bombsite Bird. They are a rare sight, but you might be lucky enough to spot one along the Lee Navigation. The species at number two is the Black Poplar, a tree that grows alongside rivers and waterways. This is the tree that gave the East End District of Poplar its name, because it grew in such great numbers on the marshlands that became the Olympic Park. Now there are fewer than 8,000 left, making it the UK's rarest native tree. The Olympic Park has 100 black poplars, most of which grow in the wetland bowl and on the banks of the River Lee. The species at number one is so rare that it was thought to be extinct until a small number were discovered in East London about 15 years ago. And this is the streaked bombardier beetle. The beetle has a very unusual way of defending itself and will spray a mixture of boiling chemicals to frighten away its predators. We've recorded over a thousand different insects on the park, but this is by far the rarest. The streak bombardier beetle is found on brownfield habitats across the Olympic Park. Over to you. There's plenty to see and spot in Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. The new Biodiversity Action Plan is now available on our website. And as always, the park is well worth a visit. The park has a wildlife trail guide, which you can download or pick up from the information point. And this highlights some of the best wildlife areas on the park, as well as what you can see through the seasons. Beautiful oasis in the, in the middle of the city. I think there's something for everyone there. I think it's a sort of inspirational thing to go and look at, to show how, you know, you can take a site which is sort of very heavily contaminated and you can convert it into something which is so clearly now thriving with life. Come visit the park and just look a little bit more carefully about what's surrounding you and seeing the kind of ecology the nature and realise how amazing it is and, and how important it is to our urban lives. Yeah.